The History Channel original podcast. Sports history this week, February 7th, 1969. I'm Kalen Jones. In horse racing, there are favorites, there are contenders, and there are long shots. Then, there are horses with no chance. Horses that no spectator or better would ever expect to win. Horses that are just there to round out the field. On this day, at Hialeah Racetrack near Miami, the no-chance horse is named Bridle and Bit. This horse, a three-year-old who would go on to win just eight total races in her life, has been given 95 to one odds to win the seventh race of the day. That means that if it ran the same race 95 times, this horse would probably win once. The horse's trainer, a veteran of the racing game, puts the odds at more like 200 to one. Still, the thousands of spectators in the crowd can't keep their eyes off a horse they would normally ignore. Failing the stare is impossible on the stay because the jockey on her back is a woman. Her name is Diane Crump. And she's about to become the first ever female competitor in an officially sanctioned American horse race. She's just 20 years old, wearing racing silk she bought the day before sitting on a saddle that she borrowed from another racer. Like her horse, Crump has been dismissed as someone with no chance to make it. But today begins one woman's attempt to defy those odds and prove them all wrong. The starting gun cracks. The horses are off. Crump admits that as a jockey, she likes her horses to play the role of a stalker, laying off the pace a bit at first in order to save something for the final stretch. From a seat in the stands, she looks like pretty much any other jockey with her crouch and forward lean, showing great command as she heads into the first turn. And to many, just being in the race is already a kind of victory. Today, Diane Crump rides in the racing history. Why was the horse racing establishment hell-bent on keeping her off the track? And how do Crump and other female jockeys fundamentally change the sport? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's 1967. Diane Crump is 19 years old and has been working with horses since she was a girl growing up near a racetrack in South Florida. She's walked them, she's groomed them, and, best of all, she's been riding them for years. Jockeys at the track have noticed her interest and complimented her skillful horsemanship. For a while now, 
She suspected that, given the chance, she could be as good as any jockey. But, as Diane Crump herself explains, That time, it was illegal for women to ride races. It's almost hard to comprehend 50 years later, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. And even then, because, you know, horse racing, it's been around for 100 years or so. 200. Or 200. <laughs> you heard that right. As late as 1967, women are banned from riding in American professional horse races. Which is strange, because jockeys are typically between 4'10 and 5'6 and weigh under 120 pounds. So you'd think this would be a sport dominated by women. And yet, women aren't even allowed to work in the stables, let alone compete on the racetrack. The men in the sport make sure of that. I mean, there were so many riders that were so up in arms, and even the Jocks Guild was up in arms. And it was that they shouldn't have to compete against a woman. It was so strange, that mentality. Even though women riders had proven themselves elsewhere. They competed in any other horse sports, and they were good, even on the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? Women had a great reputation in the horse world, just not in the racing world. But it's now, in 1967, that female riders around the country start trying to change that. Diane Crump was one of them. So was Barbara Jo Rubin, an 18-year-old from Illinois. Like Crump, she'd fallen in love with horses as a girl. And, like Crump, her dream of riding professionally was blocked by the men who ruled the sport. They didn't like women on the backside, and the backside is where, you know, they do the training, and the horses are taken care of back there. And it was mostly a man's game. Why do you think so many men were trying to keep other women from competing as jockeys? Everybody has a theory on it. I always thought it's because back then, people used to get their autographs and things like this, and they were such big men for being little men, which is strange. I was thinking that a lot of the wives didn't want us to do it to break in. They didn't want us interfering. And then a lot of the jockeys thought they weren't going to be as big of men if women could do it. That's <laughs> what I always figured anyway. But the official reason given for barring women from competing seems to revolve around safety. Some women, like Barbara Jo Rubin, are dubious. Then, yeah, there were some that would voice it right to you. You got no business here. You're going to get somebody killed. Uh, well, you can get somebody killed, too. <laughs> you know, what's the difference? I mean, how dangerous was it to compete as a jockey? It wasn't any more dangerous than riding horses every day. I mean, you could get hurt and killed in the morning and exercising, let alone in the races. You know, it's you never think about that. If you think about that, then you're not going to be very good at it. In other words... Yes, racing horses is dangerous, but men are free to choose to do it anyway, and women are not. And Diane Crump says that a horse doesn't care either way. They just want that person on there that is with them, that's directing them, that, you know what I mean? They love to compete just as much as we do. But while they're barred from the officially sanctioned paramutual races, often the ones with the biggest prize money, women do find ways to compete. There was plenty of women that were that rode then, you know, that were tough, that could challenge anybody. Then. So they were out there, but it just wasn't on a legal basis on a racetrack 
And there was plenty of small racetracks around that aren't sanctions, I guess. That's what you would call it. There were, were women that rode there. And they could ride the pants off of anybody. In 1967, an aspiring jockey named Kathy Kuzner decides that being relegated to these unsanctioned side races isn't enough. Kuzner applies for a license with the Maryland Racing Commission in 1967, telling a reporter, sex has nothing to do with being able to ride. It's ability. If a girl has ability, they should disregard the sex angle and give her a license. But the commissioner denies her request on the grounds of her being an amateur. In his explanation, the fact that she's a woman comes up twice. This is a profession, the racing commissioner says. These men make their living at it. The sanctioned an amateur, who would then solicit mounts without pay when these men are trying to make a living, is absolutely wrong. Kuzner gives up her amateur status and submits another application, only to be rejected again. Because she, quote, lacks sufficient strength to control a horse in competition and was more at the level of an exercise boy in terms of skill. So, Kuzner sues. Kathy did the hard part by taking it to court. So I will always give her credit for that because she was bold enough to stand up and say, hey, look, this is not right. She took the bull by the horns in that respect. A group of women lawyers donated their services. In September 1968, Kuzner's case is heard inside a Maryland circuit court. The Racing Commission's lawyer argues, quote, skills, strength, and age are what is being counted against her, not sex. Kuzner's lawyer argues she's been denied her license solely on the basis of sex and not her ability. The verdict declares that women can legally join their male counterparts in official professional horse races. That's all Diane Crump needs. When they won the court battle, I was right there in line to line up and get my license. She now has the legal right to compete as a jockey in professional races, but she knows that doesn't mean she'll be welcomed with open arms by the male-dominated field. Barbara Jo Rubin knows it too. And it was just something that once one person started, then we're like, okay, we're going to break into this. We just have to work. And, you know, no matter what they say, we're going to do it. A young woman named Penny Ann Early tries to make her professional debut in November of 1968 at Churchill Downs, the racetrack that hosts the Kentucky Derby. But the male riders flatly refuse to participate, opting to sit out in protest, even as audience members call them chicken and yellow belly. Eventually, an announcement is made. As there are no other jockeys available to ride with Penny Ann Early, the management regrets to announce that we have canceled the ninth race. But Early gets a pretty creative idea to reveal the absurdity of being barred from horse racing. She decides to become the first woman to appear in a different sport entirely. She manages to sign a one-day contract with the Kentucky Colonels, a professional men's basketball team. Wearing a white sweater and a bright green miniskirt, Early checks into the game, catches a pass, and immediately returns to the bench, becoming the first woman to play in a professional basketball game. After the final buzzer, hundreds of fans flock to get her autograph. Early's basketball stunt is effective. Newspapers across the country cover the event 
increasing the public pressure to allow women to take their place at the nation's horse tracks. And sure enough, Barbara Jo Rubin is named on a horse at Tropical Park in Florida in January of 1969. They had a trailer set up for me and people were just everywhere. It was crazy, you know, how crowded it was. They had record-breaking crowds. Well, I was all ready to ride my horse and, you know, go in the race. But then, a familiar story. They boycotted four races before my race, which meant that racing just stopped and the people went nuts. And they were breaking stuff in the grandstand. They wanted the racing to go on because there were a lot of gamblers there. And things quickly get worse. I was sitting in the trailer and they had, oh gosh, about 50 or 60 of the press outside the trailer. And one of the jocks, I don't know which one, but they threw a rock through my window. And then a security guard ran in and he said, you need to get out of here. And I'm like, you know, I just walked out. They never found out who did it. Were you scared? Did you ever consider that maybe it's not worth it, especially if you're in danger? You know, it's just part of it. Throwing bricks at somebody or, you know, saying you can't do something. It never deterred me. It never bothered me so much because I figured it's going to happen. You know, sooner or later, it's going to happen. But not everybody has the same attitude as Reuben and Crump. There were some of the girls early on that quit riding because of that. They gave it a shot, but they were like, it wasn't worth the negative press, the negative response. Although the boycotting jockeys each have to pay a fine, Reuben never ends up competing in a race at Tropical Park on that day, as she's replaced on her horse by a male jockey. However, the news of the day draws the attention of several international racetracks. And they saw how many people came, record-breaking crowds, and they thought, oh, we need that over in Nassau in the Bahamas. <laughs> so a few days later, they invited me to come over there and ride. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't care where I get to ride as long as I can ride. The Associated Press says Ruben garners more interest as a rider than any woman who has climbed aboard a horse since Lady Godiva. But Ruben is not merely some novelty to drum up excitement. On January 29th, she doesn't just compete. I won the first race. And it was just the best feeling, you know, to think that, how oh, we've done it. And I was so proud of my horse. Barbara Jo Rubin, a female jockey, has just won a race in the Bahamas against a field of men. And somehow, the centuries-old world of professional horse racing doesn't self-destruct. But just 180 miles east, in southern Florida, Diane Crump has no idea if her dream of racing in America will ever come true. It could be months, it could be years, it could be never. Or it could be tomorrow. I was galloping a horse at Gulfstream Park, and one of the other exercise riders was galloped alongside me that said, Diane, do you know you're named on a horse tomorrow at Hialeah? And I said, no, I didn't know. It's the invitation she spent her entire life waiting for. And she suddenly has less than 24 hours to get ready. Hold up. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's February 6, 1969. Diane Crump has just been told by a man galloping past her on a horse that she'll be making American racing history the next day. That's crazy. They didn't give you a heads up or anything? No, because in those days, it was a 24-hour entry. So I went back to the barn and I told some of the other friends there that worked with me. I said, uh, somebody said I'm named on a horse tomorrow. They said, well, let's run up there. They, they call it overnight. It's where the horses are listed for the races for the next day. And so we got the overnight. And sure enough, I was named on a horse. I knew 24 hours before. That was it. And how did you feel when you first heard that? It was everything. And just by the grace of God, I'm the first one because two other ones got boycotted. And then it was me. I was up next. I don't know why I was the first. We were all determined to make it happen. And I just kept plugging away. And I guess God put me at the right place at the right time. But it seems that Crump also got a little help from some friends that she made during her time working at the horse farm at Goldstream Park. I was named on the first horse from somebody that I never heard of. He said his wife had been watching everything that was going on with the girls trying to ride. And she told her husband that he needed to name me on that horse or she would find a new trainer or new husband or something. (laughs) She wants to stop what she's doing to prepare for the race, visualize the track, research her opponents, and just take a breath. But she doesn't even get the afternoon off. I still was working. When I found out, I still had probably seven or eight more horses to gallop that morning. (laughs) But in the back of my mind, I'm still excited that I'm finally getting to do what I've dreamed about doing. Only once she's done with her work can Crump scramble to get ready. I mean, I did have to get all my gear. I had to go to the jockey store and buy the pants and the boots. So I'd have something to ride. And another, a jockey that I knew told me he'd loan me a saddle. It's all really happening. Crump will be the first woman to actually take her place in a professional, paramutual race. A race where the odds are created in real time by the betting public, alongside the men, on U.S. soil. And why do you think the male riders didn't boycott you? After they boycotted all those other women like Penny Ann Early and Barbara Jo Rubin. I think at that point, the stewards were fed up with all the riders boycotting and, you know, all everybody walking out and everybody up in arms over something that was already proven legally. It has to happen. The following morning, 
Crump arrives at the historic Hialeah racetrack. Green, perfectly manicured grass, palm trees swaying in the breeze, and the best part? It was beautiful, the flamingos that were in the middle, you know, that were in the center field. It's true. You can look up the photos online. A flamboyance of flamingos struts around in the center of the track. It was a gorgeous racetrack. I mean, the whole track, the setting, it couldn't have been more perfect. It was a beautiful day. I remember that. February 7th, the weather was good. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. Uh, it was exciting in the way that the crowd was huge. I wasn't nervous. I was like, finally. I was so excited that it was actually really, really going to happen. But upon arrival, Crump immediately encounters her first race day challenge. There's nowhere to get ready. This shouldn't come as a surprise. When you're the first ever female jockey in the history of the country, there's no women's changing room at the track. For the first multiple years, I was either in a ladies' restroom, some office, or the first aid room at the track because there was nowhere to put the women. And there was an office that was close to the jocks room, so they put me in there for the day. And there was two men in there when I came in with my little, you know, suitcase of clothes to, that I had to wear. And then, you know, like a half hour later, they finished their business and they left, left me in there to the room to myself. The valet came in to talk to me about, you know, getting my tack and all that. As Crump dodges desks and staplers, word spreads throughout the sands that a woman will be riding in the seventh race of the day. Bets begin to pile up. Soon, there are more wagers on race number seven than any other race that day. And since Crump's presence on the track will be truly unprecedented, the race officials take no chances. They send what's described as a phalanx of security guards to escort her to the starting line. Where it took an armed guard to get me from where I was staying into the saddling paddock where the horses oh, were. Major. It was crazy. Well, who am I? What? I, you know, I weighed 108 pounds. I mean, what was I going to do? <laughs> On her way to the track, Crump hears a mix of support and jeers from the crowd. They'd be like, oh, go home, go cook dinner, go make babies, go clean your house. I mean, those were the things that you heard day in and day out. But for me, I just turned a deaf ear. You had to have tunnel vision. This is where I'm going, and I'm not changing course. Crump knows that the race officials have got her back, especially when she hears the racetrack bugler play Diane, a song made popular by the Bachelors, to welcome her to the starting gate. And it's there that she meets a very important three-year-old for the first time. Had you met Bridal and Bit prior to that race? Never. Not the trainer, not the horse, nobody involved. Jockeys often stress the massive importance of having a good relationship with their horses. And yet, here's Crump, in her first race, hopping on the back of a horse that she's never even met. Maybe they were trying to, you know, make it more difficult for you to succeed. If they didn't want a woman to win right away, maybe they made it, like, especially difficult for you. They did. The heckling, the crowds, the brand new horse, the pressure of making history, it's a lot. I hadn't pulled my goggles down. You know, you're not in that race riding mode. I mean, since I've never ridden a race before. So the rider next to me, Craig Perez, said, Diane, don't forget to put your goggles down. 
Crump sits atop Bridle and Bit, the horse with odds of 95 to 1 against it, waiting for the starting gun. For Crump and her horse, there is no Hollywood ending on this day. No, the bookmakers got it right. Bridle and Bit ends up finishing 10th out of 12 horses. But Diane Crump proves something. I got one or two compliments from the riders. The most of them ignored me. But, you know, there were a few that said, hey, that was a good ride. There's nobody could have ridden that horse any better than that. I did a good job, and I could prove that I belong here. And so for me, that was important. And then, you know, I got swarmed and, like, came back. Everybody was, like, after me. They were, like, dragging me away. I almost forgot to unsaddle my horse because they were pulling me away. Everybody wanted to talk to me. And even though other women may have tried to be the first, there seems to be gratitude that the glass ceiling has been broken. Again, here's Barbara Jo Rubin. As I was very excited that she did get to ride because when I tried to ride again in the States, they were having a little trouble at Laurel where they were naming me on a horse before Diane. I just thought it was great when she did because I thought, well, good, we won't get boycotted anymore. The boycott stopped. The misogynistic quotes do not. Nearly a year after Crump's debut, horse trainer Brian Webb says, women have the rapport with the horse, but they don't have the strength of a man. A male jockey will outride a female jockey every time because of strength. Veteran jockey Tony Despirito agrees, saying, I'd rather ride against them than the boys anytime. They're easier to beat. Well, tell that to Barbara Jo Rubin. And I think I won my first 28 out of 98 races. Wow. But I was really good out of the gate. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say so. You know, you're still going to have problems with the jocks, but I figured now they can't stop us. Of course, we still got hit with whips and we got bumped. And I had a couple jocks try to drop me on the track, you know, grabbing my irons and stab them. But I mean, they do that to other jocks. So I thought, you know, nothing new, nothing different. <laughs> you know, I'm just getting, I just want to be treated like one of the others. And over the course of the next several years? It did get more accepting. There were still a lot of jocks that didn't want to ride against you, that still, you know, cast you out. They would be in races and bump me, and I would just look over and smile and go on with my horse. Crump and her peers continue working their way in the more and more prestigious races over the next year. In 1970, Crump becomes the first woman to compete in the Kentucky Derby. And as women become more common at racetracks in the United States heading into the 70s, female jockeys become some of the main attractions. They wanted you coming into these racetracks because you were drawing crowds and people wanted to see a girl jockey. What's she like? Is she, you know, <laughs> she looked like a big gorilla or what? So I had to do a lot of TV shows. I had to travel around the country, do parades, do stuff. You had to watch your weight because back when I started, I could only weigh like 95 to 100 pounds. And I hated it. Hated it. It was having to travel to all these different places. And I was only 19. And on the racetrack, gamblers begin to realize there's a lucrative opportunity to be found. They knew if I was riding them, they were going to get, well, if the horse was 5 to 1, if I rode it, it was 20 to 1. Essentially, women are so underestimated by the betting public, 
that gamblers could get more favorable odds with higher payouts by wagering on a horse with a female rider. It's a trend that continues even today. According to an academic study published in 2022, horse gamblers continue to wildly underestimate female jockeys. Regardless, pioneering women like Diane Crump, Barbara Jo Rubin, Kathleen Kuzner, Penny Ann Early, and others paved the way for gender equality in a sport that actively resisted it for over a century. We all put our little footprint in the sand, you know what I mean, to get the ball started. Did it make you famous or did your life change drastically? No. You know what I mean? I didn't want it to be a spectacle. I wanted it to be my life, not some side venture. I wanted it to be what I did. I feel like, in a way, I proved that women did belong and that we were a real part of it and that we were serious and we should be taken serious. And I feel like in that respect, I think I played my part. Oh, absolutely. I never felt like I did anything special except to do what I wanted to do. You know, people would say, oh my gosh, you're famous. And I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> you know, I just want to <laughs> ride. That's all I want to do. It's an occupation. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1996. Gary Kasparov, the top chess player in the world, is defeated by Deep Blue, a computer program. And 2000. Tiger Woods overcomes a massive deficit to win his sixth consecutive tournament, one of the longest streaks in golfing history. If you'd like to get in touch, please shoot us an email at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks to our guests, Diane Crump, the first woman to ever race in an officially sanctioned parimutuel horse race in the United States, and Barbara Jo Rubin, the first woman to ever win a professional horse race in the United States. This episode was produced by David Ingbert. It was story edited by me, Kaylin Jones, and sound designed by The Podglomerate. Sports History This Week is also produced by Cooper McKim. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. 